Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, good morning. Today I want to start off by painting a picture for you. So, first of all, I'll say, you know, historical accuracy, I recognize what I'm about to kind of paint the picture of. It's not 100% historically accurate, but just roll with me as as I get into it. So, I want you to imagine that you are a first century Jewish woman. You are lying asleep, and every morning you wake up and you hear your husband beside you recite his morning prayers because he is a devout Jewish man. And he starts and he says, Blessed are you, Hashem, King of the universe, for having not made me a Gentile. Blessed are you, Hashem, King of the universe, for not having made me a slave. Blessed are you, Hashem, King of the universe, for not having made me a woman. And every morning, every morning you hear that. And a side note, does that list, Gentile, slave, woman, does that sound familiar? That list in that order? We see Paul use the same um, pattern in Galatians 3 when he says there is no Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, no, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ. And I wonder if Paul actually was doing that in response to this prayer. So you wake up every morning, you hear your husband beside you say, thank God I'm not like her. And then maybe you go about your day, your husband has his rabbi over, and you're preparing, and you're serving, and you are, are hostessing, and you hear the rabbi exclaim, it is better that the words of the law be burned than delivered to a woman. Whew, okay. But then you go into the village to do what you need to do, and, and, and you're with other groups of women, and all of a sudden, you start hearing whispers. You start hearing stories about there's a man, a rabbi even, who talks to women, who asks questions of women, who pauses in his day to converse with them, who has deep theological discussions with women, who touches women, who heals women, who acknowledges women, without the acknowledgement being, thank God I'm not like her. And that person is Jesus. There's a reason. There's a reason throughout history that Christianity has predominantly been more comprised of more women than men. Some might argue it's because there's been a feminization of Christianity, that we need to masculine, masculinize it to have men return. No, no, no. I don't think that's it at all. Jesus, the founder of our faith, highly valued and empowered women, when throughout history, culture has not. Jesus noticed, 
He acknowledged and he gave them space for them to be themselves and follow him in, follow him in ways when culture said, that's not okay. His humanity story starts with women. The angels come and speak to Mary, not her soon-to-be husband, although that came later, not her father. The angel came and spoke to Mary, a woman. Throughout the Gospels, we see he's ha he had several conversations with women, when a time when that just actually wasn't done. In Luke 8, 1 to 3, it, it tells us that some of his financial backers of his ministry were women. It says, Mary, Joanna, and Susanna, who were contributing to the disciples and Jesus' support out of their private means, as was custom for a rabbi's disciples. So some of the people that followed Jesus as a rabbi and as a disciple were women in a time when that just wasn't a thing to do. Women, women anointed him with oil twice. They stayed at the cross when majority of his male followers skedaddled. Why? I think it's because he saw them, he loved them, he valued them, and he empowered them. And the early church followed in his footsteps. The only reason why we know so much about the conversations about women is that the gospel writers included them. And they didn't have to. At the end of John, it says, man, this isn't even close to all things Jesus has done. We can't list them all. Obviously, that's a paraphrase. But the early church thought these encounters with women were significant enough to include them in Scripture. One sociologist estimates that the early church was comprised of two-thirds women when the, the general public was more like one-third women. In the first century, a pair of slave women were uh, arrested and tortured by Pelony in order to get more information about this Christianity cult. Surely they're doing something illegal. But what the accounts say is that these two women were called deaconesses in their church. And one of the early church critics, Celsus, this was the worst that he could come up with. This cult is made of, is weak. It's comprised of women, slaves, and children. Why? Because Jesus saw them. He loved them. He called them and he empowered them. Throughout the last 2,000 years since Jesus was, was on earth, we, we haven't been like Jesus a lot in the empowerment of women. Often as the body of Christ, we've suppressed, shut down, silenced, pushed into small boxes women. And yet, that's not the way of Jesus. We're a few weeks into our Be Like Jesus series, and where we look at, like, where we look at what Jesus was like in the Gospels, and then what does that mean for us today? How do we be like Jesus today? So we're going to look at two stories, just two. There's a lot we could have picked from, but two stories of Jesus interacting with women to see how he interacted, how he treated them, and what it does it mean for us today. The first one we're going to look at is Mary and Martha. So I'm, it's going to be from Luke 10. And this is actually a year ago, around a year ago, is when I, uh, I led through uh, Lecto Divina of this passage. 
And so I'm going to read it now. Now, while they were on their way, Jesus entered a village called Bethany, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who seated herself at the Lord's feet and was continually listening to his teaching. But Martha was very busy and distracted with all of her serving responsibilities, and she approached him and said, Lord, is it of no concern to you that my sister has left me to do the serving alone? Tell her to help me and do her part. But the Lord replied, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered and anxious about so many things. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, that which is to her advantage, which will not be taken away from her. And so often, I mean, in my experience, when I've looked at that passage or heard people speak about it, it they often go the route of, this is about priorities, you know, about being with Jesus as opposed to doing things for Jesus, about the heart of serving, about, you know, kind of maybe focusing on your own stuff and not getting wrapped up in other stuff. And those are all valid thoughts and angles. But I wonder, I wonder if there's another component to this. I wonder if Martha was ticked because Mary literally should have been in the kitchen. In this time, culturally, the women would have been preparing and serving the food. I, this was funny to me. As I was researching and looking into this, I read one old commentary. And I'm talking like mid-19th century, so quite old. But made the comment, obviously Mary would have already done the food prep. Obviously Mary already had, would have done all the serving. She would have done that part and then gone and been at Jesus with Jesus, because, you know, she, she was a, a godly Christian woman, and so that's what would have happened. We can't say that. It doesn't say she had already gone and came. We can't say that. But what we can say is it said that Mary was seated at the feet of Jesus and was continually listening. And that phrase, kind of seated at the feet, continually listening, is, is how disciples are. They're supposed to follow closely behind their rabbi, sit and listen. And, and at the time, that was men. Men were disciples. There were rabbis that were men. No, no, no. That is not what women would do. But yet, we see Mary do this. And what if Martha was upset because Mary was going out of the lane for women. She was doing something that was not okay at the time. What if Martha was worried, bothered, and anxious about what people would think of her sister? Or what would Jesus think about her and her sister? Or how this would reflect on her if it got out that her sister was doing something not okay. We can't say whether that's what it was or not, but what if? And Jesus responds. He didn't agree and say, oh, yeah, Martha, you're right. Yeah, you know, Mary, your place is in the kitchen. You, you better go there. You can serve me best there. Just go stay there. That's great. Or he didn't say, yeah, you know what? You really shouldn't be listening. You know, women can't really be learners of rabbis, so scattle on your way. But instead, 
he says, Mary has chosen the good part, which is to her advantage, which will not be taken away from her. So Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning as a student of a rabbi, that will not be taken away from her. Jesus will not take that away from her. She is welcome in this space. She will remain in this space. And Jesus says she has chosen well to be in that space. Jesus empowered Mary to leave her culturally dictated space to learn and follow him. The second story I want to look at is of the Samaritan woman, and that's found in John 4, and it's quite a lengthy passage. It's 1 through 42. So we have to set the stage a little bit so we actually understand the significance and how extremely outside the expected rabbi Jewish behavior Jesus went in this interaction. So we see right off the top, it says John 4, verse 3 to 4, it says, Jesus left Judea and returned again to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So Judea was down here, Samaria was here, Galilee was here. So Samaria was in between. But here's the thing. Jewish people hated the Samaritans. And this went back quite a few hundred years, actually. The Samaritans were, were Jewish people who had intermixed with non-Jewish people during the Assyrian captivity in 725 BC. And, and not only that, not only did they intermix, they followed a heretical religion. They had their own temple that they created. They had their own religious services on a, on a mountain in the area. And they kind of took the Torah and the law of Moses and kind of tweaked it a bit to make it fit for them. And the Jewish people were not okay with this. They were hated so much that a common prayer of the Pharisees at the time was that no Samaritan would be raised in the resurrection. So, commonly, they would travel around Samaria. It would add time, but they didn't want to be in that region. They didn't want to talk to anybody. They did not want to be around or in or anything close. So they would just travel around. But Jesus goes into the space that culturally was not the space for a rabbi to be in. And so, it says he travels, he's tired and thirsty, he sits down at a well, he sends his disciples off to find some food somewhere, and he sits down, it says, around the sixth hour, which my little notes say, which was around noon. And then in verse 7, something happens. Then a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And sometimes we can move quickly on because the rest of the passage is also beautiful and brilliant and amazing that we kind of move on from this quickly. But this sentence here contains a lot of really astonishing things that give insight to how Jesus interacted with this woman. Later on, we find out the fact that Jesus was talking with this woman, the disciples were shocked. And it kind of, you know, in various different ways and translations say, and the, but the disciples didn't ask him anything because they didn't really know what to say. So they were confused about what was going on. But first of all, 
Then a woman, a woman. So Jewish rabbis were, were not permitted to speak with women on the street. And actually, conversations with women were considered a hindrance to the study of Torah. They were an inconvenience. They just got in the way. But Jesus stops and talks. And not only was she a woman, she was a Samaritan woman. And we already heard how uh, Samaria was viewed by the Jewish people. But also, uh, a few decades earlier, uh, a Jewish rabbi had declared that Samaritan women were perpetually unclean. What that meant was anything that a Samaritan woman touched would also be unclean. Which means if a man touched the item, he would now be unclean and would have to go through the ritual purifications. And Jesus says to her, can you give me a drink of water? The other part that's interesting and, and important to note is came to draw water at noon. When the sun would have been blazing, at the time, women kind of went in the morning when it was cool. They kind of went in groups to be able to have the community there. But this woman is alone at a time when there's nobody else. Why? I mean, we find out later that a good clue is probably that she's had multiple husbands. She's living with a man that's not her husband. So she was isolated, probably pushed to the fringes. So here's this woman, here's this person, who's a Samaritan, who's a woman, and even among women, she was on the margins. She was isolated, hiding, and alone. And what comes next is beautiful. Jesus engages her in conversation talks about living water, talks about theological uh, differences in between the Samaritan and, and Jewish religion, calls her out on her sin. And then, I mean, all that is already mind-blowing about how he's having this deep interaction with this woman. But then there is a point that is far beyond amazing and astonishing. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. When that one comes, he'll tell us everything we need to know. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he, the Messiah. Up until that point, it records that Jesus, you know, called himself the son of man. That there were times that um, demons would cry out, I know who you are. You're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. And he would say, you need to shut it. Stop. And yet here, he says to this woman, yeah, I'm the Messiah. And the literal Greek translation is, I am is speaking to you. Using God's covenant name, Yahweh, this is the first time he has declared to someone else that he is the Messiah. Not to his disciples, not to the religious elite, not even to a Jewish person but to an outcast in all the ways. A Samaritan woman who is isolated even among women. 
this woman has an encounter and revelation of the Messiah because Jesus was willing to engage with, create space for conversation. And what happens? What's the result of this? In verse 28, it says, Then this woman left her water jar and went into the city and began telling people. This woman, who was deliberately alone by herself so she didn't have to see anybody, is now going into the city and telling people. And not only that, but saying, hey, he's told me everything I've done. She was the first female evangelist telling people about the Messiah, declaring to both men and women the Messiah is here. And the result, verse 39, it says, Now many Samaritans from that city believed in him and trusted him because of what the woman had said. Jesus, in seeing this woman, in conversing with her, engaging in deep conversation, bringing her sin into the light, empowering her, she affected a whole city and a whole region. And it says that they asked Jesus to stay there longer so they could hear more about him. Jesus empowered women. These are just two stories. But Jesus empowered women, noticed them, saw them, acknowledged them, and gave them space to use their gifts, talents, and and spheres of influence to follow him. And here's the thing. The spaces and the ways that they could engage and the ways that were available for them to partner in the kingdom was not determined by their sex. We should not be doing this either. And and I want to make this really clear. There's no one-size-fits-all when women are empowered. It's not like, hey, every empowered woman now needs to do what I'm doing. Or every empowered woman now needs to be leading worship like the worship team this morning. That is not what I'm saying. Do not hear me say that. What I am saying is when when we empower women, we give space for each woman to follow what Jesus is calling her into. We give space for the giftings, talents, and and skills that Jesus has given her to be fully used in the building of the kingdom. Martha still cooked meals. There were financial backers in the background of women. It's not one size fits all, but it is. Each woman is empowered to be exactly who Jesus is calling her to be. And when we do this, when we create space for people to, for women to follow after Jesus in whatever way that he is calling them, we're partnering with Jesus. Which means the opposite is true. When we hurt, when we harm, when we push aside, when we devalue, disempower women, we're not partnering with the kingdom of heaven. We're actually partnering with the kingdom of darkness. Doug Balzer, he, he works at our district uh, office. I can't remember his exact title. He's our coach, but his exact title is Catalyst for something? Renewal? Something. Anyways, on January 2nd, we watched a video of one of his sermons called When the Spirit Comes. But Doug Balzer did um, a doctoral research project. 
And what he did it on is the research of deliverance and the effect on Christian life afterwards. And he was looking at how effective is deliverance in discipleship and, and kingdom building. And so he measured a bunch of different components of, you know, pre-deliverance and post-deliverance. And for the most part, men and women, the differences were ranked equally. Except in five areas. For men, they were statistically, signif or they statistically significantly different in uh, pre- and post-deliverance over women in the area of pornography and pride. Men had a bigger result there. And then there were three areas that women had a, a much bigger difference in than men. And those three areas were identity, empowerment, and confidence in ministry. And so what conclusion him and his research team comes to says, these findings indicate that an overall demonic scheme exists to keep women suppressed in the kingdom and church ministry. And the story of the Samaritan woman kind of matches up with this. Beforehand, isolated, alone, avoiding, hiding. And afterwards, after an encounter with Jesus where her sin is brought into the light, she's telling, she's engaged, she's confident to engage with me. People, no longer hiding but declaring Jesus. Being like Jesus means we don't put caveats on how women can contribute to the building of the kingdom. But rather, we empower them to use their giftings to follow after Jesus in whatever he's calling them to. So, so what does this look like for us? What are some intentionable, actionable things we can do as we strive to look like Jesus and empower women. Well, the first thing is that I would encourage you to do is be curious around your biblical understanding around women and their roles. We want to ground our perspective in Jesus and scripture. So seek out resources. Read the gospels, paying close attention to Jesus and how he interacts with women. Some of the passages that deal around women's roles in church, they're tricky and hard, and there's different interpretations of them. So study them, look at the context, search out different theologians on different sides of how they've interpreted this, have conversations around this. This is an important topic that we need to have it grounded in Jesus and scripture. The second thing we can do is, is take notice of the spaces in your life and just take notice, are women here? Are they invited to, to have their voice heard? And then to your ability, create space to see, acknowledge, and empower women. I would also ask you to be curious about beliefs behind statements about women. What's actually being said? And so some of you, as I just said that, maybe flash through your mind, oh goodness, now we have to like super analyze everything, read into everything, get into microaggressions, judging, assuming motives. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Not what I'm saying at all. But there is value in taking a pause. When you hear statements about women in, in what they're doing in the church, what they're doing in, in different leadership roles, in, in how they are, 
curious, what message might be conveyed in this to women? These are some things that have either been said to me or other women leaders. If more men said yes to God, then God wouldn't need women in places of leadership. What, what message might be behind that? Women are second best. They're God's plan B. Man, they're kind of like, he'll do with them, but if he could get the real winners. Another one. It's okay your sermon wasn't great. At least you were nice to look at. What, is, what does that imply? What is the message that might be received? It doesn't matter how well you teach us the word of God. As long as your makeup and hair look good. And finally, if I saw a woman on stage teaching, I would walk out immediately. What might be heard there? When I heard this, I thought, wow, this person can't imagine a place that he could learn anything about God from women. So be curious. Not overanalyze, not read into everything, not start you know, criticizing and critically tearing apart everything that's said. But wonder and curious, what might the message be sending? And is this the message that I want to send? And is this the message I want to agree with? And finally, some of us might need to process some forgiveness and repentance around this issue. Forgiveness, women, Maybe in the past, you, you've not been treated well by men and women who are followers of Jesus. That you've been told to sit down, be quiet, you're not allowed here. You can only do these things. You might need to forgive those people. We might need to forgive people who have taught us, implicitly or explicitly, harmful ways to interact with women. We might need to process some forgiveness around that. And then men and women. We might need to process some forgiveness around women who have not led well. What's interesting is as I've had conversations with people in this area, uh, years ago I did a, a series at Ladies uh, Nights that was Unmentionables, and we walked through women in leadership. And as I heard people's different stories, a lot of the time, people's hesitation around um, creating space for women in different areas in the church that hasn't, hadn't been wasn't so much rooted in theological differences, although that does happen, but it was because they had a really poor, harmful encounter with a woman in leadership who did not serve well, who used power and control and manipulation. And that power... Sorry, and that pain left a sour taste in people's mouth. And it tainted everything. So if that's been your experience, please forgive the woman who did not lead well. Along with forgiveness, we might need to repent. The times and places that we've dismissed, suppressed, devalued women. 
So for us women, there might have been times that we were feeling threatened or we felt like it was a competition or it felt like we had to win over other women and we didn't show up well. We put them down so we would feel good. We need to repent of that. And men, maybe Jesus is asking you to repent as well of the times that you've dismissed, suppressed, or devalued women. And so as we go into this next song, I'm going to come up after this song and do a benediction, but as we go into this next song, please, would you just take a moment and ask Jesus, do I need to forgive anybody around this topic? Do I need to repent of anything around this topic? And Jesus, I just ask you right now, would you highlight the places where, we, where personally we haven't been like you in the treatment of women? And Holy Spirit, would you bring to mind right now any people we need to forgive around this topic? Because unforgiveness has a way of of tainting and shadowing everything. And we want to be able to show up fully free, empowering women just like you did. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So once uh, the benediction is done, we're going to have um, some prayer people up here if you would like prayer for those of you that are online there should be um, a number that will come up shortly that you can just text in and one of the pastors will call you later today to uh, pray with you um, yeah and the prayer that can be something it can be related to something that I spoke about or or something you just want prayer with or if you want someone to witness as you repent or forgive we would love to do that as well. But before that, I will give the benediction. Today, may you experience an infilling of the Holy Spirit, that you would be spirit-empowered. I bless you men and women to work together in, the, in unity for building the kingdom of Jesus. In Jesus' name, I speak against competition or the scarcity mindset. I declare abundance and delight over each one of you right now that God has made you exactly how he made you with giftings and talents, skills. He's placed you in situations for you to bring the kingdom of God in. I bless you with an increased awareness of that. May you have the courage to lean into all that Jesus is inviting you to partner with today. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ, and then make him known.